0: All right, well, as you have heard, this has been an unusual year, a good year, but an unusual year for the friendship ministry, and as a result of it being unusual, um, it was explained to me that there was not really an overall theme for the year. Normally on Friendship Sunday, I preach on the theme, whatever their theme was, but Wendy explained to me that, well, there wasn't really exactly a theme this year, so she suggested to me, she said, here's something you can preach on. Why don't you preach on being joyful and trusting God in all circumstances? She said that would make an appropriate sermon theme for Friendship Sunday, being joyful and trusting God in all circumstances. So that's what I'm going to preach on. And I'll just say this now, uh, because it's on my mind, and I bet it's on a number of other people's minds as well. We'll have more opportunities to say more about this on Thursday, but how appropriate, (laughs) how appropriate that this Sunday is Friendship Sunday, uh, the very week that Margaret has gone home to be with her beloved Lord and Savior, Uh, a woman who gave so much of herself to so many people, but who gave so much to the friendship ministry and is so loved uh, by the friends and the friendship ministry, and a woman Who just exemplified joy in all circumstances, right? Who better to think about when we think about joy in all circumstances than to think about Margaret? How fitting. And so I'm going to pray for our time and I'm going to pray specifically uh, that that we might um, manifest the joy that we saw exemplified in Margaret. Dear Lord, thank you that we can gather here this morning Thank you for our friends and for the Friendship Ministry. Thank you that they bring their own joy wherever they go. Thank you that we are uh, uh, impacted and affected by the joy that they have. And, and we are thankful for Margaret for so many reasons and for in so many ways. Her life was a blessing, just, just an absolute constant blessing on so many people. And I know that we're going to have opportunities to say that and to share those stories when we gather on Wednesday night and on Thursday, uh, but we want to say it now as well, and just thank you for the way that woman manifested the love and joy of Christ uh, in this ministry. We thank you for that, and we pray that we too would refl- reflect your joy to those around us, as she so faithfully did. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, well, being joyful, that was my assignment being from Wendy, being joyful, trusting God in all circumstances. If that was your assignment, if someone said, hey, you need to preach a sermon about being joyful and trusting God in all circumstances, where would you go in your Bible to preach that message? What, what comes to mind? What story or what passage or what, what book comes to mind? I wonder. For me, I had an immediate thought. My immediate thought was the book of Philippians. Not one passage from the book of Philippians, but the book of Philippians as a whole. In fact, I think that Wendy's uh, instructions to me uh, really is a good summary about what the whole book of Philippians is all about. Being joyful and trusting God in all circumstances. In fact, Philippians is sometimes referred to as the epistle of joy. So I, wanna, I want you to listen to some of these well-known quotes from the book of Philippians. Okay, these are all from Philippians. i am just, just pull them out and list them for you. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Rejoice in the Lord always and again I will say it, rejoice. Do not be anxious about anything. I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All from the book of Philippians. Philippians, I mean, when you read it, Philippians reads like the a, 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 a greatest hits from the New Testament. Right? I, I have a theory that verses from the book of Philippians appear on more coffee cups than any other book of the Bible. I'm pretty sure that's a fact. In fact, I did a little search on Amazon to test my theory, and uh, turns out not only can you get coffee cups with verses from the book of Philippians printed on them, uh, you can get just about anything with verses from the book of Philippians printed on them. For example, and I'm not making this up, you can order from Amazon bracelets, necklaces, banners, keychains, jewelry boxes, dog tags, yard signs, drink coasters, backpacks, frameable pictures, a cover for your Xbox, water bottles, rubber iPhone covers, and a license plate holder, all with verses from the book of Philippians printed on them. And my personal favorite that I found, you can buy a trailer hitch cover with Philippians 4.13 on it. Philippians 4.13, if you don't know, is that verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So that when you're not pulling a load, you can remind the world that you could, in fact, be pulling all things, if you wanted to, (laughs) through Christ who strengthens you. Listen, no other book in the Bible is like that. Right? When you do a search on Amazon like that for Galatians or for Romans or for Deuteronomy or for Leviticus, you don't find all those knick-knacks with verses stamped on them from those books. Now, why is that the case? It's because Philippians is a massively encouraging letter. That is why it gets quoted so often. But here's the irony. Philippians is really only encouraging when you keep those verses in context, Right? So, so if anyone here wants to get me a Philippians coffee mug, that's great, but I, w- I want you to make sure that the whole book is printed on that coffee mug. Okay? <laughs> now, I like coffee, so I won't mind if it's like a half-gallon mug. It's going to have to be, because I want the whole book on there, because you've got to hear those verses in context. In fact, if you pull those verses out of context and just throw them at people, sometimes they can be discouraging. Have you ever experienced that? For me, when I I see that verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When I see that on someone's trailer hitch or wherever, I am immediately tempted to think, Really? Not me. I can't do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When I hear someone just glibly state as as a throwaway line, kind of, well for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain I am immediately tempted to think, really? Not me. Because to me, dying feels like loss. And and to tell you the truth, I'd rather live. And whenever I'm reminded by someone of the command to rejoice in the Lord always, kind of like I just did in that children's message, whenever someone reminds me to rejoice in the Lord always, I'm always immediately discouraged by that, because anyone who knows me knows that I do not. Not only do I not rejoice in the Lord always, I don't even think I rejoice in the Lord most of the time. Uh. I might feel good about myself if that verse read, rejoice in the Lord sometimes when things are going your way and if you feel like it. That could be my life verse. I'm in for that, but the verse doesn't say that. The verse says very explicitly and plainly, rejoice in the Lord always. That's right. That's right. See, this is why we need to be careful not to rip these verses out of context. We need to keep them where they belong in the book of Philippians so that we can understand what it is that God is really trying to teach us in the book of Philippians. See, when Paul wrote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he wasn't thinking of the high school football player getting that printed on a rubber bracelet in order to pump himself up for the big game. He wasn't thinking, he wasn't trying to encourage kids, some kid playing Games on his Xbox to push himself to make it to the next level of Minecraft or I don't know, whatever kids play these days. Right? That's not what he had in mind. That's not, he's going for something bigger here. He had something much, much bigger in mind. Philippians is an epic book. Right? My kids say that word all the time. It always makes me laugh when they say it epic. Everything's epic these days. I'm not sure they know what the word epic means. Sandwiches are not really epic. Even the best sandwich in the world is not epic. Few things in life are actually epic. Few things earn the word epic. The book of Philippians is epic. I see my son nodding. I'm glad you get it. Save the word epic for Philippians. We, we trivialize the book when we rip these verses out of context and we try to apply them in ways that they were never meant to be applied. Now listen, I want to be clear. Before I, I see people silently trying to rip off their to-live-as-Christ bracelet or, 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 or pull off their I-can-do-all-things iPad cover, listen, those things are fine, right? Keep them. It's fine. I'm not, I'm not trying to start a crusade against Philippians paraphernalia. I really did used to have a Philippians coffee mug uh, until my kids broke it. And... Uh, it said, uh, it said uh, whatever is true, think on these things. You know that verse? Whatever is true, think on these things. But listen, if we're going to have those things, coffee cups that say that, let's use that as a reminder to cause us to think of the book of Philippians as a whole, right? Instead of just focusing on the one verse. What Paul is saying over and over again in Philippians is this. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying in all situations, all, no matter what life throws at me, wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, whatever's being done to me, whether I live or whether I die, whatever happens. Okay, now take that and insert your own situation into it right now. Whatever is happening to you right now, I can respond with joy to the glory of God. No matter what, I don't, however you filled that in, I don't know your situation, but I do know this, whatever your situation is, there is a way to respond with joy to the glory of God. Now, I lack the credibility to say that because I'm not living that out. I do my best, but I don't do it perfectly. But that's not my message. The Apostle Paul, and through the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit is telling us. That whatever situation we are in, there is a way to respond with joy to the glory of God. That is the message of Philippians. That is an amazing message. And that is a message that is embodied by the friendship ministry. That is what leaders of friendship asked me to preach on this morning. But that is a message that they preach on, right? Every time they gather together every Monday when they gather, this morning when they're gathered, they're they're living that sermon. They preach that message about responding with joy to the glory of God in all circumstances all the time. And it's amazing and it's beautiful. I want that for myself. I want that for our church. I want to learn from the friendship ministry. That doesn't always describe my moment-by-moment reality, but I want it to. I want my joy to be rooted not in my circumstances, which are always changing, but to be rooted in something fixed and firm and stable and unchanging and indestructible. And Philippians is all about that. As I was working on this sermon on Friday, uh, I had the idea that it would probably be good for us. I know it would be good for me. But for us as a church, maybe to hang out for a while here in Philippians. Uh, We just finished our Lenten series. And so before jumping back into our John series, I think what we'll do, Lord willing, is just spend the next few weeks trying to hear what God is saying to us in the book of Philippians. We have got a number of challenging medical situations, an unusual amount of challenging medical situations in our church right now, as you observed, as you listened to Wilbur give the updates. We've got other difficult things happening in our church as well. as as well as many good things happening, but I think it would probably be a good idea for us to spend some time letting the book of Philippians shape our response to all of these situations. As I mentioned, the book of Philippians is often referred to as the epistle of joy. I like that. That's helpful. I think it's helpful as long as we remember that this is a a particular joy that's shining through this letter. Uh, the joy that's on display in the book of Philippians is the deep and unshakable joy of a man who is, at the time of writing, rotting away in a Roman prison. That's where this, this letter was written from, a Roman prison, and while he's writing, he's facing a charge that will very likely result in his execution. That's the context of the writing of this epistle of joy. From prison, awaiting a sentence that will probably be execution. And as he's writing it from prison, facing that situation, outside of prison, his name is being slandered. His apostolic leadership within the church is being challenged. And false teachers are preaching a false message in the church that he had planted in Philippi. That's his situation. Those are the circumstances of this epistle of joy. That is a serious joy that can shine through in those circumstances. That is the particular joy that comes to the true follower of Jesus Christ when he learns to die to himself, that he might live to Christ. And let's not kid ourselves, it's not easy to do that. Although if anyone was here yesterday, you saw a beautiful and clear picture of that in Edith Biha. What an amazing woman. What an amazing response to her challenging situation. Here's something to keep in mind, though, as we walk through this book. Paul wrote this book towards the end of a long and fruitful life. And these were hard-won lessons for the Apostle Paul as well. Rome wasn't built in a day. The Apostle Paul wasn't built in a day. You and I will not be built in a day. So my goal for us as we study Philippians is not that after this we'll all be able to glorify God and rejoice in any and every ci- circumstance and situation that we face. I mean, that would be awesome. Margaret seemed to be able to do that, and I am in awe of that. But my goal for myself and for you is simply this, that by God's grace, we will just keep moving in the right direction. Keep growing, however slowly. Keep growing that might sound like a modest goal but that's big enough that's big enough and of course that relates to what has happened in the friendship ministry this year it's been a challenging year it's been a challenging year but by God's grace they just keep moving in the right direction they just keep glorifying God with their lives and with their ministry I have I've have often made the observation from up front here that friendship is 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 the most joyful ministry that we have here and the challenges that they've faced over the past couple of years that has not dampened that joy. Uh, praise God, that's amazing. So at the end of the sermon this morning, I'm gonna I'm gonna read a few verses verses from Philippians and I'm gonna explain how those verses relate specifically to friendship ministry. Before I do that, I just want to take a little bit of time to think about the the relational context between the Apostle Paul and the church at Philippi. I think that'll help us. uh, If we're going to do a series in this book of Philippians, that'll help us to get some sense of that relationship between Paul and the church at Philippi. All this information I'm about to share comes from the book of Acts. The book of Acts tells us a lot about uh, Paul and the church at Philippi and how they're related. So Paul's first missionary journey did not include a stop in Philippi. Uh, in, In his first journey, he stayed relatively close to Asia Minor. Uh, uh, Paul's second missionary journey, he t- intended as a follow-up to the first one, and he was going to visit churches he'd already been to and already planted. He was traveling with Silas at the time. Along the way, he picked up a guy named Timothy, and as, uh, as they journeyed, he thought he knew where he was headed. But it turned out he didn't know God had other plans for him. And so one night Paul has this vision. And the vision is of a man from Macedonia. And the man appears clearly to him and says, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And we're told that as soon as Paul had that vision, he immediately changed his plans, made a new route, went to Macedonia, believing that God had called him to preach the gospel there. Well, the city of Philippi is in Macedonia. So, and, I, and when I hear that, I just think, isn't that so often the way, right? We think we know where we're going. We think we have a good plan mapped out, and we have to make plans, of course, right? And we think they're good plans, or we want to make them. And so we think we're headed where we need to go, and then God, God intervenes. God disrupts our plans. And sometimes that's confusing, and sometimes that's frustrating, and sometimes we thought we had the best plan, so why are we doing something else? But it's good to be reminded that God's plans are always right. Ours aren't, but His are. He has a perfect record. We don't. And His plans are always good. And I think that some people that are involved in the friendship ministry would give a similar testimony. I've heard people say things like that. that They weren't necessarily planning or looking to get involved in this ministry. But the opportunity arrived, and they took it, and that they've been blessed ever since, through their involvement in this ministry. So now we begin to understand the affection that Paul feels for the church of Philippi, right? Paul planted lots of churches in lots of cities, but this was a place that Paul had not intended to go, but then he was specifically called to go there through a vision sent by the Lord. So this church had a special place in his heart. And here's, here's how it happened. When Paul went to Philippi, Typically, when Paul would show up in a new city, the first place he went to, he made a beeline for the synagogue, right? And then he would preach the message of Jesus to the local Jewish population. That was uh, his formula. That's what he typically did first. But there were so few Jews in Philippi that there was no synagogue. And so on the first Sabbath, we're told that Paul and Silas go outside the city to a riverbank. And they went to a place where they heard there was a place of prayer. Can you imagine, Paul? And so He didn't intend to be there in the first place. He has no plan. There is no synagogue. So he just goes there by the riverbank. I hear this is a place of prayer. God, you brought me here. What do you want me to do? And we're told that as he's there, he meets a woman named Lydia. Lydia is a seller of purple goods and a worshiper of God, we're told. We read that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. We're told that she believed the message of the gospel and that she and her household were baptized. And there you go, you have the first Christians in Philippi. After that, Paul has a, Paul has a busy day. He, he, uh, he ends up, uh, there's a demon-possessed slave girl. And uh, her owners are exploiting her and using her as a fortune teller. And Paul um, casts that demon out of that girl. He saves that girl. He liberates her. And the owners of that girl get upset because they just lost their income. And so the owners start a riot. And the next thing you know, Paul and Silas are being beaten with rods by Roman soldiers, and then they're thrown in a Philippian jail. That night, Paul and Silas uh, are worshiping God in prison and there's an earthquake that happens while they're worshiping God and the earthquake, somehow, we we don't know the details, somehow the earthquake springs them from their chains and they're free. And the jailer sees what's happened. The jailer is the one who's in charge of keeping them in jail. That's his job. He sees that they're free and they're going to escape and the jailer is about to kill himself. Instead, Paul and Silas preach the gospel to that man. And eventually the jailer and his household come to faith in Jesus Christ and they're baptized and now we have two households making up the Philippian church. I want you to think for a moment about the diversity of those first people that Paul ministered to in Philippi. You have a wealthy tradeswoman. We're told that she traded in purple goods. Only rich people could afford purple goods. She's a wealthy woman. She's a wealthy tradeswoman and her family. Then you have a poor, the poorest of the poor, slave girl. And then you have a middle class working family. A prison guard is a middle class guy and his family. You've got the whole spectrum there. All unique situations. You've got uh, uh, women, men. You've got children, old people. You've got wealthy, middle class, and slave. All of it represented in those first encounters in Philippi. All of those individuals loved by God, created by God, valued by God, which again makes me think of all of the different people who are involved in the friendship ministry, all of whom are unique, all of whom are beautiful, loved by God, valued by God, created in the image of God. The Roman guards eventually realize that Paul is a Roman citizen. They realize they made a big mistake of beating him and throwing him in prison, and so they try to quietly release him and say, Okay, our bad, just could you just quietly go, please? And Paul says, No, it's your mistake. I'm not gonna secretly go. Why don't you come here and publicly release me and admit that you made a mistake? And so the magistrates come and they make a public apology. They asked Paul to leave the city, and he does, but before he goes, he visits and encourages those people who had come to faith over the past couple days. And that's the beginning of the new church in Philippi. And that church grows while Paul, while Paul is away, and Paul probably visited Philippi a few times after that initial visit. He's definitely stayed in contact with them throughout the remainder of his life. And so what started as Paul just being faithful to a crazy vision in the middle of the night and saying, okay, God, I don't know what you're up to, but I'll follow you wherever you lead me. That led to two households and a slave girl coming to faith. That led to a church being planted, a church that supported Paul throughout the rest of his life. And Paul loved these people dearly. And it caused him to rejoice. Just to think about them caused him to rejoice. right? This church was one of those those, those things, you know you got those things that on a bad day you think about those things and they make you happier, whatever they are. The church at Philippi, that was one of those things for Paul. If he was having a bad day and he was trying to count his blessings and re- recite things that would make him joyful, he thought of the church at Philippi. The occasion for the writing of this letter to Philippians comes years and years after his initial visit. Paul is now a prisoner in Rome, as I mentioned The uh, the church at Philippi has sent uh, a a gift uh, through one of the members of the church at Philippi, a guy named Epaphroditus. Uh, They they gave Epaphroditus money to give to the Apostle Paul. They had sent a monetary gift, and apparently Epaphroditus got sick and nearly died as he was delivering this money, Uh, but he eventually recovered, and Paul sent him back to Philippi, And they sent this letter with Epaphroditus back to the church at Philippi, and that's the letter that we are reading now, Philippians. And this is one of the reasons why when you read Philippians, it just leaps off the page with joy. Because Paul loves the people of Philippi. Paul loves the fellowship that he shares with the people of Philippi. Paul loves the partnership that he shares in the gospel with these dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay? So now, having set it up, we're ready to read a few uh, verses from this letter. And as I read it, keep in mind who it's directed at. On the one hand, uh, this is a real personal letter. It's written by a real man named Paul. And it's written to a particular group of real people. It's probably not a large group. If you're wanting to picture something in your mind, don't picture a group like this. This would have been way bigger than the church at Philippi. If you want to picture it, picture a small gathering of people in a living room, in a house made out of stone, as many people as you could fit into a living room. It's a small group of people. And they've got this letter that Epaphroditus has brought back from the hand of their beloved Apostle Paul. And somebody who can read, and that would have been a minority, but somebody has it who can read and stands up and says, we have a letter from Paul. Everybody gather around. Let's hear what he has to say. And there we are, and he's going to read it. That's the context for this letter. It applies to those people in that room so long ago when they first heard it, imagine being there. But also, because this is the Bible... That means it's actually written not just by Paul, but by the Holy Spirit, and it's directed not just to the church at Philippi, but to all the churches, which means it's directed to the church of Ebenezer in Duke. But specifically this morning, I would like you to hear these words that I'm about to read directed at the friends and mentors who participate in the friendship ministry at Ebenezer. Okay? Here's what it says. I'm reading in chapter one and I'm starting in verse three. I know it took a while to get there. Normally I read the Bible at the start of the sermon. This is the end of the sermon. But here we go. Philippians one and verse three. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now and I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ I don't have much more to say this morning except to say this to every person who participates in the friendship ministry These words from Paul to the church at Philippi exactly express how we at Ebenezer feel about you. Let me say that just a little bit more directly to you. Verse 3 says this, We thank God every time we remember you. Every time the friendship ministry comes to our minds, it causes us to thank God that such a ministry exists here. We thank God every time we remember you. We thankf- we're thankful that you gather. We're thankful that you worship. We're thankful that you share with each other. We're thankful that you laugh. We're thankful that you think about the Bible together. We're thankful that you pray together. We thank God every time we think about you. Verse 4 says, When we pray for you, and believe me, we do pray for you, when we pray for you, we pray with joy. It is a source of joy to lift you up in prayer and as we ask God to continue to bless your ministry. You are a source of joy to us. Verse 5 says, the reason for our joy is our partnership in the gospel with you. See, the gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth to take away the sins of the world and to restore our relationship to God through his death on the cross. And when we talk about our partnership in the gospel, we mean that it is the message of the gospel that has united us and made us one family. And now we're partners in proclaiming that message and living out that message in our lives, and that's happening in the friendship ministry. The gospel is being proclaimed, and the gospel is being lived out through this ministry, and it gives us joy to participate in that with you. And finally, verse 6, we are sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Listen, all of us are works in progress. None of us is finished, right? We're all, we're all being worked on. We're all being made. We're all being formed. We're not done yet, right? Uh, all of us, we're not done yet. We're still being made, and God is the one who is making us. We're not finished. For those of you who participate in the friendship ministry, this ministry is one of the things that God's using to form you into the exact person that he has created, and called, and redeemed you to be. And when God takes on a project, he's not like me, right? He doesn't begin full of energy, and excitement, and then he, you know, faces some challenge, or something, something goes wrong, and he gets discouraged, and he just quits. He doesn't do that. I do that. He doesn't do that, ever. What God begins, God finishes, and God has begun a good work in you and he will finish it and we want you to know it's beautiful it's beautiful right now it's beautiful and when he finishes it it'll be glorious let's pray together shall we dear god thank you for the friendship ministry we love them so much we're so thankful for the way that you are glorifying your name through the ministry of friendship thank you for that that every person who participates in that ministry is a work in progress. Thank you that every person in this room is a work in progress. And thank you that you're not a God who gives up. You're not a God who starts something and doesn't finish it. But you are a God who sees things through to completion. And so please continue that beautiful work that you're doing in the friendship ministry. Please continue that beautiful work that you're doing at Ebenezer in each one of us. We hear that promise and we believe it, that the good work you have been begun will be brought to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.